2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we faint not. There, there are a lot of people fainting in 2021. A lot of people fainting in 2020. People I never expected faint. Good people, faithful people. Something, pastors and Christians. People are fainting in their marriages. People are fainting in soul winning. People are fainting in giving. Uh, there are churches that have fainted because of COVID. Pastors that have fainted in their leadership. Uh, there's a lot of fainting going on in godliness. I believe that God wants us to continue until His coming. Just because a person is present, doesn't physically present, doesn't mean that they haven't fainted. Uh, fainting is simply just quitting or backing up or giving up, getting tired and tapping out. Some are here, they're just not doing the same work with the same energy because they've spiritually fainted. Now, my fear is generations are different and millennials get sick and tired of hearing about the generation of millennials, but a previous generation just had a different determination and some grit that wouldn't quit because life had taught them to overcome obstacles. Living was an obstacle. Can you imagine this generation having to use an house, having to walk to school, having to milk a cow? These the young people in this generation, for the most part, I know life at times is difficult, but they pretty much live obstacle-free except when their uh, technology breaks down. And that creates quite the hassle and the frustration and makes you want to quit school when the technology's broke down and quit life. I'm talking about people quitting marriage, quitting church, quitting God. And here's what Paul said, look what he says, verse 8. Life is never going to be problem free. We are troubled on every side. That's, that's not new to the times of COVID. Or the wrong person being in a political position or uh, the boss fussing at you. You're, this isn't marriage. He's not, he wasn't married when he said we're troubled. He said, we're troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. There's one thing to be troubled. It's sad when you see Christians. You know when they're distressed, they've fainted. We're perplexed. Perplexed means you're clueless about what's going on. How many of this year have been clueless about what's going on? You're looking at things and say, oh, pastor, I know. No, trust me, you don't know. It goes way deeper and a whole lot further than what you know, you would be really distressed and despair if you knew. Perplexed simply means you're close. But Paul said not despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Let me just remind you, these are not. American Christians act like these are the worst days ever. You realize Christians have been persecuted for thousands of years. There are millions of Christians that are living severe persecution right now. Criticism is not persecution. Pushback is not persecution. Being attacked is not persecution. When Paul said this, when you consider Paul's life is a missionary, Paul rarely had a, a, a good day, an easy day, when we speak physically or emotionally speaking. Paul's life was one of sacrifice. Traveling missionaries now, we get to climb on a plane or a train or a bus or a car. We thank God for it. And, you know, Kim and I, we 
We suffered hardship in Argentina. Oh, man, I mean to tell you. Let me cry on your shoulder for a minute. Five years without a, without a car. It was horrible. We actually had to exercise a little bit. We had to walk several blocks at one time. Sometimes we'd have to walk a half a block before we got a taxi. I mean, our complaints, how first world are they? Reality, we, we find ways. We, we have to come up in our minds about how truly we are troubled and perplexed and persecuted. If you are a citizen of the United States of America and, and you've had the benefit of living in this country over the past 30 years, your only trouble is when you went to the, uh, to the store, they didn't have peppermint ice cream because it wasn't Christmas and you wanted peppermint and all they had was 42 other flavors to choose from. But you were perplexed because they didn't have peppermint yet. Or cast down. Some of you have perfected that art. I mean, your face tells me you're cast down 24-7. You need to get cheered up. Cast down is out of style as a Christian. I said, yeah, we've been cast down before, but we're not, we're not destroyed. As Christians, literally, their face looks like their whole life's been destroyed. They weren't able to buy the car they wanted at the time they wanted. Didn't get the raise they wanted. What Paul is talking about is nothing that we've ever known. I mean, a man walks into town and he preaches in the synagogue and he, he gets beaten, he gets stopped. I mean, rocks. People are picking up rocks with the intent of killing him. Their whole intent of throwing those rocks is to, to smash his head in. I've had my brothers throw rocks at me before. But they were little and I was at a distance far enough away where I didn't fear for my life. And I could actually dodge them and throw them back. You say, you wouldn't do that. I, you know, I blame it on my mother. She's the one that reared us. <laughs> what, we, what we throw under the terminology of persecution or distress or trouble really doesn't fit what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about for the cause of Christ. But if, if people are quitting, and don't, don't allow your children the habit of quitting. I mean, literally, this generation, they start everything and quit it, quit it all. First obstacle, first problem, first headache, first hassle. They, they stop. Teach them to follow through. Teach them to overcome the obstacles. Teach them to embrace the headache. Teach them that everything with life, it, it comes with the challenge, and you ought to be a big enough person to overcome the challenge of the moment without feigning. Amen? Feigning is... Problem, man, why are Christians fainting? We don't even want to go that direction tonight, but there are multiple reasons. They're tired, they're weary. There are physical reasons, there are spiritual reasons. They eat the wrong diet. Have the wrong diet, amen. Living in sin, distant from God, tired of their workload, angry at their spouse. There's a million reasons. But here's what we want to talk about. Fainting not because of the danger of fainting. No, we're talking... Recently, about a wedding that we did in Mexico, and there on a on a platform with a concrete floor, and the the platform's head just a little bit higher than this one, and one of the young men in the wedding locked his knees, fainted, and fell over backwards, two and a half feet. On the first thing to hit that floor was his head, and. He passed out, brain contusion. We stopped the wedding. EMS came. Half the family left. He was in ICU for weeks. 
Christian, it is spiritually dangerous for you to faint. How was it that Paul didn't faint? How is it that we look at people? Here's what I tell people all the time. Don't, we like to suppose that we know a person's income or we know a person's marriage or we know a, a person's emotional stability or joy level based on this. You, you'd be shocked how many people you see with, with peace in their heart and a smile on their face, yet dealing with extreme headache and heartache and problems. And here's, here's a man, if any man in the Bible could have quit, should have quit, had an excuse to quit, it was Apostle Paul, and he didn't quit. He just said, I'm, I'm not going to faint. And he states several now, here's what we want to do. Uh, I want to be expository in the points. I don't want to just come up with, I, I think Paul comes up with some good points, so why deviate from the ones that he laid out for us in his chapter? Look what it says in verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this what? He said, you know, number one, my motivation is ministry. God's given me a ministry. Now, here's what we think. We think if, if I don't have a title, if I'm not a pastor, if I'm not a missionary, if I'm not a Sunday school teacher, if I don't lead the Christian school or the Bible college, then I don't have ministry. No, every born-again child of God has a ministry. Ministry is not a title. It's a love for people, a desire to help people, an involvement in people's lives. That's ministry. And too many have quit. How many? How many? Uh, Souls have perished because people got tired at some point and just said, I'm tired of being a witness. I'm tired of going to the nursing home. I don't, I don't want to preach in the prison anymore. I don't want to run this bus route. I'm, I'm just tired. And they quit. And Satan, what he wants to do is to convince you that wherever you're serving, wherever you're ministering, it's not that important. It's not that vital. And through his lies, he'll convince you your effort, your energy is, is simply not worth it. Your reward is too small. Visibly, what you're seeing take place just doesn't make sense to continue to invest. I'm so thankful on Saturdays you go out. All the kids that are picked up and loved and helped and encouraged and brought to church. And for many of those kids, their life literally is hell on earth six days a week, and they get two hours on a Sunday where God gives them a little taste of heaven. Dad's gone. When he is home, he's drunk, and he's yelling at them, sometimes physically abusing them, sexually abusing them. Mom's too busy, and when she is there, she's too tired to care. They can't seem to do anything right. They hate school. And then on Sunday morning, Saturday, uh, they know uh, some, some crazy person is going to come over there and talk to them about church tomorrow and smile and laugh with them for five minutes. And then the next day, they get a little time slot in their week that is a haven that's burden-free, that's carefree, where someone actually smiles and, and they mean it when they smile and they show love and they actually mean it when they show love. Giving with nothing, not expecting anything in return. And I'm, I know, here's, here's the problem. Here's why we often quit because when we, when we serve and we have a ministry, you show love and that love is not reciprocated. Why, why do you think so many people in 2021 are getting pets? 
because they don't have anything else in life that reciprocates love. They want to come home and have a dog jump on them. I don't. I, I have a family. I have kids. I have a wife. Uh, I have people that reciprocate love. Amen. I don't need a goldfish. You say, Pastor, are you making fun of me? Probably. I could be. It's not my intention, but it may, it may slip out. But here's the problem. We quit because in, in the midst of that service, there is a true heartfelt love for people. And at some point, it gets frustrating. People, people are fainting in their marriage because they get tired. of I'm loving this person and no love is reciprocated. I'm teaching this class and these students don't even care. There, there's not even a moment where that love is reciprocated. I'm sacrificing in this Sunday school class. I'm working with these teenagers. I'm paying to sustain this bus route. And there's nothing reciprocated. And at some point, we look at that and we measure the sacrifice with the reciprocation of love. And it causes us to grow weary and consider feigning. Let's pause here before we move on to the next word. I'm... I'm truly convinced that we've lost our sense of duty as Christians. Because there's, there's been times when I didn't feel it. There have been times I, people look at me as having a hard, being a hard, harsh person. Uh, you might be surprised how deeply pastor loves. Your pastor barely made it to church on time tonight because of a long visit with someone that didn't even go to church. And here's, here's what happens in that. When you get worn out and when you get weary, you'll lose part of your motivation because ministry, ministering and, and helping people and serving people and sacrificing for people will take, it'll empty the gas tank. Amen. And, and at some point, you, you've got to say, you know what, if, if I don't have any... Uh, other motivation, there has to be a sense of duty where sometimes I look myself in the mirror and say, Adam Thompson, you are the pastor and whether or not you feel like it, you have the duty tomorrow to get up and do the right thing and help people and maybe on Sunday you'll feel it. But even if you don't, you always have the, the feeling of love in your marriage or the, the wonderful feeling that you love your kids or there are times when all the feelings are gone and you just want to say, you wascally wabbits, I'm going to rip your faces off. <laughs> but there's a sense of duty that keeps you from ripping their faces off. Don't look at me all pious like you just wake up one big ball of love. One big ball of lard, not one big ball of love. I've often thought back, what if I would have fainted? What, what if I would have fainted in Argentina? I remember we win. You gotta, you know, you're separating from family, and the mission field isn't what you think it is going to be, and starting a church more difficult than you uh, were told, and learning a language is extremely complicated, and you look stupid, and you say stupid things, and finance. I'm, I remember Christmas, this, this was back before they just made the, deposit in your bank account. They'd mail us a check. And we lived, you want to talk about living paycheck to paycheck. We lived with very little support, paycheck to paycheck. But I remember one Christmas, 
We didn't get our support check. It was supposed to be in about the third or fourth of the month. We didn't get our support check until like the 20th. Robert, I remember walking downtown saying, God, I'm trying to reach these people in this Christmas time, and I can't even get a paycheck? I mean, I know it's going to be a couple thousand dollars, but at least a couple thousand dollars will put a half a smile on my face. You say, preachers, missionaries aren't supposed to think like that. They certainly are. If it's Christmas, they got to wait till Christmas Day to get a, put a couple coins in their pocket. You've been there. You've been stretched to the limit. You've been emotionally frustrated where you just said, you know what, serving God and sacrificing and doing what I'm supposed to do. I have a sense of duty, but at some point, God, I would love to see a little bit of reward in this ministry. Here's what Paul said. I've been entrusted with the ministry of helping people. And that's we're not talking about whether or not you're called to be a pastor, a missionary, associate pastor, assistant, or work in the school, whatever, whatever, that doesn't matter. We're talking about the ministry of simply helping people and serving people and loving people. And your motivation needs to be, God has entrusted me in his ministry. That ought to motivate me not to faint. And here's what I do now. I look back and I see Edgar and I see other churches have been planted. And, and now Vida Abundante, last night we had our, uh, our little Christmas program. And, and I'm watching everything that's going on, those kids up front. I'm looking at these kids that walked in here, rebels and unsaved. And at last, uh, I wish sometimes, I won't do this as a pastor, but I wish sometimes I could just tell you personal stories. I one of the most tragic events of, of our 30 years of ministry happened not a month ago. And, and yesterday was a total reversal. It, it was like the cherry on the top of, of God taking a horrific circumstance and turning it around for His honor and His glory. And in the midst of that, Saving a life and then saving a soul. And I'm, I'm just sitting over there and I'm watching this all happen. And you're, you're looking out here. I'm, I'm looking last night on a Tuesday night. This place was full. And I'm not just looking at kids and thinking about where, where they've come from and what they were rescued from and, and marriages that have been helped. And I, I'm just looking out at this crowd and, and remember back... On Tuesday night, me and Kim and three or four people around the table with a Bible and sweet bread. And it turned into this. You know what I was thinking? I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm glad I didn't quit. We came to Austin and 30 families left the church. Yeah, you were one that thought about it. You just couldn't figure out where to go, so you stuck around. You didn't like my preaching either. You still don't like my preaching. You just don't have the gas to drive to a different. You make enough money to make the change. 
the longer I live, the more thankful I am that I didn't quit. I look at kids and my own kids and whether that's Kevin. Look at, if you would have seen Kevin and his brother, you know, you know where Kevin and his brother used to sit? Andrew, raise your hand. He used to sit right back there. You, you know how Kevin and his brother would sit when they came to church? I'm not making this up. Just like this. Like some of you want to sit. You just don't have the nerve to do it. You know how God got a hold of that boy who saved him? Put a fire in his bones. A love for God. A desire to do right. Hey, you know what helps me? Uh, when, I, when I think about fainting, I look at the ministry that God has given. Not, not as a pastor. Not as a missionary. But as a person that is supposed to be investing my life in other people, and when I look at those investments, it motivates me not to faint. Amen. And if you're investing your life in other people, that ought to motivate you to not give up. Look at the next word. As we have received what? Mercy. mercy. You know another motivation? The grace of God, the mercy. He saved you. you. You weren't born in a Muslim country with eyes blinded, no, no knowledge of the truth. God got you the gospel. Then he had grace and mercy in saving you. And he told you, this isn't going to depend upon you at all. You, you'd blow Mason. You grew up in church. You grew up knowing the Bible. You have parents that love God. And you still, if it were dependent upon you, if your salvation were dependent upon you, you'd still blow it. But God's mercy said, I'm going to save you and I'm going to make sure that salvation has nothing to do with you. I'm, I have mercy to make your mama Ashley Dilworth. Boy, that's so bad. Is the mercy and the grace of God. Johnny, you need to hug your mom because what you're looking at is, is the earthly form of God's heavenly mercy. Put you in this environment, gave you a Bible, and dwelt, uh, have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Ben, how many people have Pastor Ben as their youth pastor? You are one fortunate young. That's called the mercy of God. And Paul said, I've had mercy. Now, his, his past looks a whole lot different than ours, but it doesn't change the fact that all of us have enjoyed the mercy and the grace of God. Look what it says, verse 15, for all things are for your sake. He said, all these things that have happened in your life, it's for your sake that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to what? To the glory of God. He said, listen, when you're going through these things, that abundant grace is going to be there. Why? Because God ultimately wants to get you through this process and through this problem. All so that it will redound to the glory of God. You know what I want to do right? Because God's investment of mercy in me. Not just previous to salvation. After salvation. It's the grace of God. I, I tell you what, whether it's sent in Malawi in that preacher's conference, say, hey, what, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? There are not just thousands, but tens of thousands that could do a better job preaching this conference. Why, why would God even allow me 
if he's sitting in this situation. That's the grace of God. Amen. I show up for this church and I teach in this college and I preach on a Wednesday night. You, you know what's allowed me this moment, the grace of God. Can, can you imagine if God just looked down from heaven at Adam Tom said, Adam, I, I just want you to know from this day forward, I'm going to give you exactly what you deserve. Be careful when you complain. God, I, I think I deserve better. Be, be careful if you ever ask God, God, I wish you'd just give me what I deserve. Oh, boy. Earth may open up. You get swallowed right into the pit. Paul said, there's something, when I want to quit, it's the ministry that God has given me. It's the mercy that God has showered upon me. Then look what it says in verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet, what's it say? Our inward man is renewed day by day. There's a daily recharging. Why, why didn't Paul quit? There was a daily recharging that was taking place. Christian, the best thing you can do is learn that you need to be renewed. Your strength needs to be renewed every single day. The best example I know is electronics that all of us have. You know what you do at night? You plug them in. Because you want to wake up in the morning with those things, those devices recharged. You know why? Then, then you look down at that phone, you look at that computer, and, and all of a sudden that little battery icon is, is barely, you know, it's a, like the last line and it's red. And you, boy, I need to plug this thing quickly. This thing's going to go dead. You know what? Some of you show up to church and you look like... Like the battery on your phone screen. I just want to plug you in. I want to say this person needs recharged. You know, it's, it's, you know you, how you get recharged? You get in this book. It's hard to be recharged. if you're not, I'm not talking about a Sunday service. or That's supposed to recharge you. And on Wednesday night, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're faithful, and I hope it helps you spiritually. But at the end of the day, you need recharged every night. Otherwise, people faint. I mean, you preach on godliness and people faint. You, you preach, people have a steady spiritual diet of chips and licorice because they don't get in the book and get recharged. They don't get on their knees. You know why Christians are so weird and ready to faint? The Bible still says men ought always to pray and not faint because if you don't pray, you will Faint, you will spiritually grow faint. Have you ever seen those videos of the fainting goats? Okay, I'm not a YouTuber. Don't I have people come to you. Have you seen this on YouTube? Don't, please don't waste my time. Somebody shout, Pastor, have you ever seen fainting goat? That is the funniest thing. If you're gonna look one up, look one up with that, that exercise ball. That is a fun. I mean, two goats out there and they roll that big exercise ball out there. And in those goats. They literally, they'll lock up, they freeze up, and then just fall over, legs up in the air. Anything that causes fear makes them faint. I've pastored a lot of Christians like that. All Satan has to do is just walk by and go, COVID, ooh! That's true. Uh Uh-huh. That's all it takes. Satan whispers a single word in their ear, and and I got to go over to their house, and I just find them like this. You think that doesn't make the devil laugh? I just made 10 of them faint. 
I just said tithe. And he, <laughs> Pastor talked about a new project that he wants to invest in. <laughs> Amen. For those of you that are upset, that wasn't in the notes. I don't know where that came from. I just, some YouTube memory. This helps you out. I'll get back to my notes. Let me find out where we're at. Verse 16. For this cause we faint not. But though our outward man perisheth, the inward man is renewed day by day. Get plugged in every day. Yes, you need to rest. Yes, you need to be careful, be cautious. I was painting a few years ago in uh, our house, and it was always paint. A little, little teeny tiny area. I was standing on a 50-gallon drum. Never a bright idea. But... Uh, I was up there on the top, and I guess the fumes caused me to faint, but I, I sensed I was growing lightheaded, and that should have caused me to come down and recognize I was about ready to faint. Well, next thing I know, I awakened, and I had flipped off that 50-gallon drum onto a 5-gallon bucket, broken two of my ribs, the paint, 5 gallons of paint had tipped over. It's lucky I hadn't suffocated my... I was laying face down in the paint. And then I had to go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> this, this walking paint blob. <laughs> Two broken ribs. You, you know what would have saved me that trouble? Had I recognized I'm growing faint, I think I need to reposition myself and make sure I don't faint. And, and there are some Christians here tonight, you're, you're really close to fainting. You're maxed out, you're stressed out, your walk with God is, is not, not consistent, you're frustrated with light, frustrated with people. You've already backed out about everything you can back out of except church. You haven't witnessed anyone in months, maybe years. Reading the Bible is only when you have to. Psalms 117 at a time. <laughs> Prayer only happens at meals. Church is a frustration. Pastor always goes along. Yeah. Look what it says, verse 17. Our light affliction. Now, this is Paul. Don't, Christian, if you're, you're here in America right now, don't say those words. Now, let me just say this. It's, it's coming. Okay, it, it is coming. Young people, yes, times are changing. If the Lord tarries, there will come a moment when, yes, your pastor will be in jail for doing right and preaching the gospel. In this generation, they're making the Word of God a hate crime. They will come to a point where they will tell preachers what to preach and what not to preach. They shut down churches worldwide because of a flu. They shut it down over COVID. And, and most of it wasn't even a forced shutdown. Pastors shut down before the even government told them to shut down. But there are cities and counties and places in the United States that told churches to shut their door. I, I hope if they ever haul off your pastor for, for preaching the truth and keeping the doors open, that, that Pastor Robert, 
Pastor Mark, Pastor Raul, one of these guys will be the next person in the pulpit. And when they take him off, I, I hope the next person will be up there at the pulpit. Amen. And once we finish with the staff on the sides, I, I, I'm hoping and praying that Brother Gamlitz will step up, Brother Jamie will step up, Brother Jake will I know Brother Dole, if his hip's not giving him problems, he'll be one of the first ones to step up. Say, preacher, you have to throw something depressing in? I'm not trying to throw anything depressing in. Listen, this has been taking place in Christianity for thousands of years. And we think persecution is someone ripping up a gospel trap. That's called spasmodic behavior, not persecution. Our light affliction, but it's for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? So what, what is our motivation to not faint? We faint not. Why? Because we have a ministry. We faint not because we have a ministry. Amen? Let me understand that. We have a ministry. We, we've experienced the mercy of God. Because of that, we don't faint. We want to make sure we're renewing ourselves every single day, getting plugged in, making sure we don't faint. But he gives another reason here, eternity. You know why some people are fainting? Focused on the all that is the earthly, the temporary. We've got to get refocused, Christians, that our life is about the eternal. It's not about this moment. I feel for some of you working so hard to finance the Antichrist. I mean that. I, I mean, there are Christians sitting right here. I mean to tell you, God, I have to turn them upside down and shake the fire out of them to get a nickel to drop out of their pocket. And the Antichrist is coming back behind. You say, you against four one? No, no, I'm, I'm for all that. I just want you to know. I, I need you to know. Okay? He is going to wage war against the saints that are left, or those not left behind, but those that get saved after the rapture. There are a lot of Baptists about ready to finance that movement. When they could be financing a work in Malawi. Uh-huh. Be, be amazed what we could do in the world that we could reach if we were focused more on the eternal. And thank you, preacher. Look what it says, verse 1, chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house of his tabernacle were, this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God in house, not made with hands. What's it say? Eternal in the heavens. How many believe in the resurrection of the dead? How many believe in the rapture? Then why, why are we so caught up living this, this, here's why we're fainting, because we keep looking at the world and making the world our point of reference. And the world has told us what, what our net value, our net worth is supposed to be based on age and city and educational level. If you're 30 years old and your net worth's not uh, uh, popping over 400000 you need to get busy, boy. I remember the story of uh, William Borden. He was an heir to the 
the, the Borden milk. You want to talk about being financially set on another level? So can you imagine this lace? How old are you? 14. You got to mention this to dad now so he can be prepared. He travels a lot, seen the world, took you to Egypt, but I don't consider that enough because Bill Borden, when he graduated in 1904, uh, this was when international travel was extremely difficult. So he graduates from high school in Chicago and his parents sent him on a trip around the world. So when you graduate, <laughs> your dad, you got time to save. You got time to save and finance a trip for me. But he was bouncing from country to country. But what happened, God used that trip and we went through Asia and Africa and seeing the poverty and the need and the spiritual need that burdened him and he surrendered to missions. So he gets back in and his parents are like, what in the world are, are you thinking? And he said, Mom, Dad, I just I feel like this is the God is doing my heart, my life. Uh, I'd rather give this money away and live for God and serve God. And then he took his Bible and wrote in the back. Now some of you remember in his biography. What did he write? No reserves. And then he went to Yale. And when he finished with Yale, he went to Princeton and studied theology. And he was going to go to China to work with the Muslims. He heads off. First stop ended up being Egypt. And he decides to stay there for some training in Egypt. And what happened? Meningitis. Kids meningitis. Within a month, he's dead. Now... Here's what happened in between. So he, he had taken that Bible and he'd written those little words, no reserves. And when his parents attacked him and people undermined him, uh, he had put no retreat underneath. And everyone said, what a wasted life. A young man that could have made a fortune had he just followed his father's footsteps. And then when they got his Bible, underneath no reserves, no retreat, his last words penned in that Bible were what? No regrets. no regrets. Young people, if you live a life for God and you don't faint, you're guaranteed to have no regrets. Not a perfect life, but when we just say, we don't faint. We're not going to pass out halfway through. We're going to finish.